This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Politics, politics program for Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you here in Austin, Texas. As I speak to you now, the current count is Republicans at 217. Democrats at 206. That is a net gain for Republicans of eight seats so far. They are one official call away from officially securing the House. Uh, We will see by how many seats that is. Obviously, a tremendous underperformance compared to where people expected. As of now, we also have an official concession from Adam Laxalt in Nevada, who loses to Catherine Cortez Masto. And we have a called governor's race, one of the most watched governor's races and one of the most maligned Democratic candidates this cycle. Katie Hobbs gets the last laugh over Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake uh, doing what she has done throughout this process and, uh, you know, casting doubt on the legitimacy of the election. But there is no doubt who will have the governor's mansion. And that is Katie Hobbs. So with that out of the way, let's also look to 2024. Donald Trump allegedly, reportedly, will announce his intention to run for president, or he did last night, Tuesday night, depending on when you listen to this, because I'm going to release it early. If that is the case, he is the first officially announced into the race, a race for which he wants to define, uh, a race that he wants to scare other candidates out of, other candidates like Ron DeSantis who took a question about Donald Trump on Tuesday. Here is that sound. One of the things I've learned, like learned in this job is um, uh, when you're do when you're leading, when you're getting, getting things done. Yeah. You take incoming fire. That's just the nature of it. Uh, I roll out of bed in the morning. I've got corporate media outlets that have a spasm. Just the fact that I'm getting up in the morning and it's constantly attacking. And this is just what's happened. I don't think any governor got attacked more, particularly by corporate media, than me over my four-year term. And yet, I think what you you learn is all that's just noise. And really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, Are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And, And that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Ron DeSantis might as well say everything that he can to tell Republicans 
do you want another option? Do you want another possibly more successful option? Because that's exactly what he said there. The, the fact that he ends with, I want you to go ahead and check the scoreboard on Tuesday. He's saying the Trump pick candidates didn't win. I turned Florida so red, it is going to set all historical parameters off forever. Like the idea that a Republican governor wins by 20. We're going to talk to Evan Scrimshaw a little bit later in this program, but that's that's unheard of. Unheard of. He, he will go more into that. So keep an eye, keep an eye, keep an eye on all that. Uh, uh, meanwhile, we got a great show for you here today. We are going to talk about a challenge to the old crow's throne. Will there be a coup in the Republican Senate leadership? Would have been a lot easier to do if some of those Trump candidates had won. And yet you are seeing a lot of pushback from rank and file senators that you would not have normally expected it from. We talk about Mitch McConnell. We also talk about Kevin McCarthy. Yes, it looks likely that he is going to be the Speaker of the House, but it is not for sure. And if he is to ascend, he's going to have to give some things back. He's going to have to give some things back to people that are going to define that congressional session, namely the Freedom Caucus. So as votes are still being counted in California and Nevada and Arizona, we march on into our political future, not only hashing out the final threads of the midterms, but also previewing what we really care about, the race for the American presidency. All that. But first. With the dust slowly settling on our midterms, we now turn to... The biddings of the D.C. denizens, and indeed the party in turmoil, some might say the R's in disarray, are the Senate Republicans. While they don't know if they will be joined by Herschel Walker based on the runoff that will happen next month, they do know that they're going to need a leader. And there is a question on exactly who that leader will be. Of course, the erstwhile head of the Republican Party for, you know, time and memoriam, it seems like, has been Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. At least as the Senate is concerned, he was the chief foil for Obama. He shepherded the Trump agenda through until there was no more Trump agenda. And then a funny thing happened on the way to the riots on January 6th. Mitch McConnell became persona non grata to Trump world. And we now have an idea of exactly how close to an open revolt Mitch McConnell came. Because should there have been a red wave, we now know that Rick Scott, senator from Florida and 
One of the people that was very combative with Mitch McConnell in terms of who was going to be doling out money for Senate candidates and on what platform they were going to run has now continued to follow through with a plan that would depose McConnell. Indeed, the big issue now is whether or not today, Wednesday, November 16th, there will be a vote to see if Mitch continues. The push from some, including some names you would not expect, like Marco Rubio, is that this vote should be delayed. Delayed for what? Well, we read now from Politico. Senate Republican leaders' decisions to push forward with a leadership election uh, despite conservative calls for delay may spark a protest challenger to Mitch McConnell. The Senate GOP is scheduled to meet now yesterday afternoon to hash out the midterm debacle that failed to net them a single Democratic-controlled seat. And if McConnell's leadership team pressures forward with a leadership election this week, as expected, it's likely to earn the Kentuckian at least a handful of no votes for his first time in his 15 years as GOP conference chair. So, who's voting no? Rick Scott, obviously. Josh Howley is another one. But... Even if you get some no on Mitch's, do you get some yes on other people? Because the two names that are being floated right now are Rick Scott, who, again, if you're mad at Mitch McConnell because of what happened during the midterms, then I don't know why you're not also mad at Rick Scott. Rick Scott ran the Republican Senate committee. He put a lot of money into a lot of races that didn't wind up going anywhere. If anything, there just seems to be a rift in leadership. Donald Trump hates Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump has sowed open and deep division between Mitch McConnell and other Trump allies. Donald Trump wants nothing more than to see his enemies driven before him, and the old crow is on top of that list. So, if we know all that, and we know that there's not necessarily anybody that would overtake Mitch McConnell, then what are we to say with all this? I think it's a lot of Sturm and Drang signifying nothing, but not necessarily because there was not an open plan to take him out, but because that car ain't got no gas in the tank right now. Friends, the biggest story that you need to be watching behind the scenes is who comes out holding the controls of the Republican apparatus, because we just saw an election where everybody was trying to to grab on and hold and push and pull with every uh, uh, instinct that they had and no clear leader. The Mitch McConnells wanted different than the Trumps. The Trumps wanted different than the McConnells. Uh, uh, Donald Trump raised a lot of money, didn't spend it, only did a few uh, rallies, pushed various different candidates out of the primary races. And so when we look back and say, well, okay, not a lot of wins to point to. You know, you held one Senate seat with J.D. Vance 
Other than that, lost Pennsylvania, lost Nevada, lost Arizona. You're likely to lose Georgia. You know, what does that get you? Not a whole lot of anything. And when Ron Johnson, who barely won in Wisconsin against a fairly weak candidate, and Rick Scott are the only guys that you think that are going to do it, I, I just don't think ultimately that having a shrewd Senate operator in Mitch McConnell is going to be something that people want to give up. Not for those two. Although you can make the argument that having some element of singular leadership would help. Then again, to go even further back, we're going to have a fight for, for the leader of the Republican Party within the next year. I mean, I mean, hell, you heard Ron DeSantis, and that's a night when Donald Trump is possibly announcing for president. So I think Mitch stays, the Republicans fight it out, and for their sake, they better hope that they emerge through 2024 with a united vision. Because if you think the choke job that they just put on in 2022 is embarrassing, considering what the map is in 2024, who, boy, howdy, if they do not add a gang of seats, it's going to be even more humiliating. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, I am emerged from this midterm season uh, uh, battered but not broken. I have a pinched nerve in my in my shoulder, but that appears to be the only wound that I have come out of this season with. And it only, only, only happened at all because of you guys. Gigantic gratitude time. Thank you to everybody who listened to us through the midterms. Thank you to everybody that watched our midterm live stream. We will be doing another live stream for the runoff in Georgia on December 6th. So please join us for that. But with all that out of the way, and a reminder that the only place that you can get extra coverage of this PX3 variety is to head to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is where two bonus episodes show up in your private feed. Never have to know a username. Never have to know a password beyond the first time that you get your custom RSS string and enter it into the podcatcher of your choice. That I remind you guys that minor league is over. The test runs are over. The little piddly, middly, oh, I wonder if this house seat is going to go to the other party. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, it's over. No, 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 my friends. We are now in the big time. We are now in the show. We are now at center stage because the second those midterms are finally decided and even before everybody gets sworn in during the next Congress, we have what this show was built for. Built 
to cover, built to admire, built to analyze the gigantic multi-billion dollar spectacle that is the race for the American presidency. While our hopes of a dual primary appear to be dashed, considering Dark Brandon has indeed executed his last stand, we are going to get a barn burner on the Republican side, and we will be here for all of it. Every debate, every fundraising cycle, every caucus, primary, and news drop. Yes, friends, even the return of... Some campaigns are born to live, others are born to die. And the campaign undertaker will set his sights on all that stumble along the path. Guys, you know this is my number one favorite period in the political cycle. We're done with the dark side of the moon. It ain't nothing but steak dinner for us going forward from now until November 2024. (sighs) You want to be here for all of it? You got to start now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com When we first pitched our spectrum of possibilities, what I wanted to highlight in Dark Brandon's last stand was the fact that a thin, thin, thin Republican majority in the House is good for Democrats. It's good for Biden because it allows the Republicans to beclown themselves because they're going to have to coalesce and deal with the most radical elements of their party. And friends, as we we do our final counting here, as I record, the Republicans will have the majority. The question is, by how many seats? It could be as few as three or four. That would be even less than the majority that Nancy Pelosi had. And already, Kevin McCarthy is dealing with the fallout. Yes, he gets to be the Speaker of the House, but at what cost, man? At what cost? This according to Punchbowl Media, which uh, I find to be the best in D.C. when it comes to this kind of coverage, the inside the House and Senate kind of gossip. McCarthy will stand in front of his colleagues... Uh, on Tuesday for the second time in seven years, asking for their support to be Speaker of the House. This comes as House Republicans have all but sealed their majority in the 118th Congress. In 2015, a well-organized conservative uprising derailed the less prepared and greener McCarthy, paving the way for Paul Ryan to become Speaker. But McCarthy's opposition is listless and disjointed. And it looks like the 57-year-old California Republican will indeed ascend to the speakership. But today's vote is the beginning of a seven-week grind for McCarthy and his team so they can whittle away any dissent that happens between now and when he will officially 
be coronated. So the vote today is going to be a tone setter. And McCarthy is expected to win. He'll fall short of the 218 votes he needs on January 3rd when he will officially ascend to the speakership. But he does need 218 at that point. Since the Republicans have such a super thin majority, that means anybody in his party that does not like him, for which you can include the Freedom Caucus, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert. And yet, the question that they have for themselves is, well, what happens if we sink McCarthy? They might know who they're going to vote for. That would be Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, who announced on Newsmax earlier this week that he is going to be nominated and take on McCarthy. But here's the other problem. There are blue dog Democrats who do not want to see total chaos. And so they have pledged that if the Freedom Caucus decides to go off script and not vote for the leader in the clubhouse in their own party, well, they'll be happy to step up and take up the slack or at least vote for somebody that is not from the Freedom Caucus. So the only real question that remains is not if McCarthy's going to be speaker, but rather what he's going to have to give up to get it. Well, things that McCarthy has said, no matter what, that are going to be changed are he is going to get rid of the metal detectors and some of the the security procedures at the Capitol to get in. He's also going to end proxy voting, meaning that if you want to cast a vote in the House, you've got to physically be in the House. But if he wants to make sure everything goes smoothly, he's got to do some stuff for the people that would otherwise be disgruntled. Among those, according to Punchbowl, is expanding the steering committee, the panel that makes decisions about committee assignments. This is a request from the Freedom Caucus, and it is a way that McCarthy would be ceding some of the power of the speakership. And it looks, at least according to reporting, that McCarthy is willing to do it. A word to the wise on this, though. Don't really indulge in any is Kevin McCarthy going to be the speaker conversation until far closer to this actual vote, which is on January 3rd. It's in everyone's interest in the Freedom Caucus to stay on the fence officially for as long as possible and then closer to when they have to vote, actually decide which concessions they want, which ones they don't, and move on. So put this into the realm of political theatrics just like, you know, Ron DeSantis may or may not run for president or Mike Pompeo may or may not run for president. This is just going to be what it is. Well, this man needs no introduction. He has been with us for, I mean, a couple couple years now, a couple cycles now. And one year ago, he had to eat some crow 
because he was very, very, very loud about how he believed the Virginia race was going to go, went the other way. But guess what? He's back on top. And he's here to break down all of the numbers that we possibly can. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, from the lines, it is political betting expert, Evan Scrimshaw. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Well, you know, this is going to be a a lot more of a pleasant postmortem than after uh, (laughs) last year's when we were talking about the Virginia election. Uh, I have to say that uh, it was it was uh, delightful as the results came in that I, I feel like of all the people that I followed, even on on Twitter, you were probably the most accurate, at least by my uh, by my math, although I am kind of going to wait you with a, a little bit extra because you were on the show. But congratulations on following this midterm so successfully. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, looks like I'm going to be. Looks like I'm going to be more accurate than at least most of the, you know, blue check, gold standards, 538, and then all the like forecasting houses. So very, very happy with my results. So let me let me ask you this broad thing before we get into some of the more uh, micro examples, something that you that you tweeted that I found to be very interesting. And it really was something that did affect my priors going into this was an idea that polling was fundamentally broken and that there was just an element of society and and we can call them Trump voters or lower income voters or Republicans in general that were just not being reached. And so in my mind, because this is what happened in 2016, uh, it's what happened to a lesser extent in 2018, because that was a very excited Democratic base, but certainly happened in 2020, was that you could kind of tack on a few extra points for the red team. That didn't happen. The polling, by and large, at least the generic ballot polling, seems like it was fairly accurate. And you tweeted something very interesting, which is that there's a danger of always guessing that the polls are going to be wrong one way. And this is the payment for it. Uh, And you and you cited examples from international elections. So as I've tweeted before and written in columns before, like if this if America was any other country and you just gave me the, the polling misses and then the evidence that one side was sort of flooding the zone with favorable polls, I would have bet every diamond dollar I had that there was going to be a big polling miss the other way. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, is that, you know, America is weird and there have been bigger polling problems there, but in, I think that, I think the tweet you're, 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 you're latching onto was a few days before the election. I couldn't get the 2017 DK election out of my head because in 2015, the right had beat their polls. And then two years later, they're running a campaign. The campaign feels pretty bad. Like, but everyone's just sort of like, well, they're going to win. The polls were wrong last time. And now it's all fine. And then Jeremy Corbyn not only didn't get smashed, he almost like he denied Theresa May his majority or her majority. And it was just one of those things where it's like the overconfidence of the right that the polling error is going to be the same. We're still getting yeah. screwed over by it. It just something just stuck with me. And I was like, oh, I've seen this before. So then, uh, you know, back to broad questioning is polling 
fixed or is this just a situation where in midterms we seem to be more accurate than we are in presidential years? So it could be both. And unfortunately, we won't know until we get the next until we get through 2024. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) We thought the polling was fixed because 2018 was pretty good. Um, And then uh, 2020 was obviously horrible. Um, You could totally make the case that it's going to be bad again in 2024. Because a lot of the pollsters who were good in 2018 are the ones who have been best this year. New York Times, Sienna, Maris, like the the traditional like old blue chip pollsters, gold standard pollsters, I guess is the term. So like it could be, might not be. What we're probably going to end up seeing though is a lot of the, because a lot of the reason that the averages look kind of bad where they do look bad is because the, the GOP pollsters flooded the zone. Uh, those pollsters are either going to be cowed, and even if they do release polls, they're not going to be—they're not going to have nearly the uh, cachet in terms of pollster ratings or whatever. So that might—that might end up being part of the story for twenty-four as well, which is just going to be really hard to, to factor in. Yeah, you know, and and the funniest thing about and that was you know flooding the zone, you know, uh, put it on the bingo card for as much as it was said in, in the week leading up to it, and then of course in the aftermath, considering the results, but also there just was not a lot of polling, right? Like so, so the the Republican outlets were 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 putting a lot of stuff out there, uh, but there really wasn't just stuff in general. There weren't it wasn't a very heavy polling season, right? Yeah, which is what made it so difficult to like discern it. Because if you were just trying to use like nonpartisan polls, like be it in an average or just in your like in your mind, as you're just trying to get like a mental picture of a race, like in some of these states, you were dealing with, you know, maybe one poll in the last two weeks, you know, in, in some of the heavierly polled states, it's maybe two, maybe three. Like, and then one of the pollsters, one of the nonpartisan pollsters who pulled the most was Emerson, who ended up being really wrong. So, like, <laughs> it was really hard to get a solid picture of this, even if you were trying to ignore the flood of right wing polls. All right. Taking a look at all of the races that have happened or any kind of meta trend, what was your biggest surprise coming out of the midterms? Uh, the New York Democratic Party is actually just way more incompetent than I thought they were. It's got to be New so, York. So the fact that the fact that they have lost the House races that they've lost, that they had the debacle with the with the with, with the gerrymander map. Uh, uh, where, 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 where are we where are we going with that? I mean, John Patrick Maloney just needs to never ever have any role in Democratic politics again. He didn't. He couldn't win his own seat. So that's 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 a brilliant job. Um, he cost the party three, four more Biden one seats, including at least one that was double digits Biden. Um, he couldn't work with his governor clearly or effectively. Um, Kathy Hochul, um, did, did she bother campaigning? Like, I mean, I know she ended up winning, so like, it's all, that's kind of going to be forgotten, but like never felt like she was responding adequately to the level of 
crisis, which makes me wonder whether why, if if not, why New York Democrats didn't see what was coming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that debacle, like Democrats are not going to win the House because they botch New York. Like that's a factually accurate statement at this point. What a, and that 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 is that is based on not only the map but also how they how they ran in those races. Yep. If they if they ran a good if they had a good New York operation, they would they would have two hundred eighteen seats in the house when all is done and dusted. Do you think Maloney that that him losing his seat was because the when he when he when he wished upon the monkey paw to put forth the MAGA candidates that that was his punishment? I mean, I think I think the monkey paw moment wasn't that. It was when he uh, decided to jump ship from where he actually lives to what would have been Jamal Bowman's district. Um, I think that was the monkey paw moment because yeah. there is there is really a thing about carpet bagging, like carpet bagging, and then the guy who ran to the district you would have been running in wins, and then. Yeah, and then you lose. Like that's some, that's some, that's some monkey balls. <laughs> All right. On the flip side, what was the biggest scrimshaw? I called it moment. Oh, probably Pennsylvania Senate because the number of people who flipped on that in the final like three four days, in part because of like skittishness about the debate, in part because of the right wing polls, in part because they just needed to find a way to have Republicans winning the Senate because. They decided that they knew the answer and therefore had to just move accordingly. Um, Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz was a horrible candidate. He had massively high unfavorables. And it was obvious to me the entire time that the debate didn't matter and that the stroke issue might have been a way to get Republicans who were always going to vote Republican anyways to like give them a fig leaf of a, of like a reason to do it. But that it was not going to be a motivating issue for for swing voters. It clearly wasn't. Fetter, like Fetterman led wire to wire. It was yes. never close. And in an election where the Senate didn't get didn't get called till what Saturday night, that got called by about midnight on Tuesday. Pennsylvania. What was the, what's the final spread there? Was it one or two? Uh, I think it's up to like four. Oh, was it up to four? Wow. Okay. What was? Oh, yeah, because they called it when it was like one and a half, two, but all that was left was absentee in Philadelphia. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, 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 I do think that you know, in, 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 in the rush to narrative build beyond the narrative building that was done leading up to the election, that that things can get a little absolute. I, I can. I'm still going to hold that that was a very bad debate performance. Although I think that you there's without a shadow of a doubt, you could say that it did not turn the tide right uh uh and that goes back to the pile of well maybe debate performances just don't matter at all ever right yeah at least in the the senate yeah that's the thing like you're not wrong it was a bad debate performance yeah and my argument was never it was a good debate performance but we just the the disagreement was does it matter does it Um, matter yeah and in the same way that the think arizona governor is gonna lead to a you know questioning of whether or not doing these debates in the first place matters. Well, you know, and, and I guess that, that goes back to like, what are the fundamentals of this race as we pick through the pieces? And one of the biggest things for me is that Democrats were talking about things that tend to motivate Democrats, which is Republicans are bad and abortion is on the ballot. And Republicans were talking about 
a lot of different things. None of them were necessarily uh, directed toward the Democrats or time honored Republican uh, uh, talking points. It was we're in a moment of crisis. Biden's bad. And that's fine. But the people that were doing it were largely rookies with no history and, you know, I think that the, the big revolutionary idea for, for Republicans coming out of this cycle is, hey, a lot of Republicans don't like chaos. They don't like newbies. They don't like people who have who are obviously just kind of winging it, uh, let alone people that they can't trust on, because the people that you want to come out and vote for you are uh, either, you know, they got some money or they're retired. And then the idea of not knowing what the person they're going to vote for is going to do is not as cute when it's not Donald Trump. Yeah. Again, I like, so Joe Biden passed two big spending bills this yeah. Congress, and inflation's very high. I'm not here to make it, to make an economist case that either of those bills were inflation inducing. Um, although I, I suspect the, the rescue package was, how is it not Joe Biden spent too much money? Now you're paying $4 a gallon for gas. How is that not the Republican message for the last six months? I, I mean, and, and I, I think I said this to you. If I were running the Republican Party, the no, every single candidate at the beginning, middle, and end of every speech should be, I want you to ask my Democratic opponent, are we in a recession? And let them say no, and let that be the message, that we're in Joe Biden's recession right now. And, and let the, the well-actuallys be the thing that, that, that buried the Democrats. We never really got there. We, we, got, to, we got to these opaque elements. And, and this brings me back to, to the abortion thing. I think the Republicans really paid a gigantic price, especially being in Nevada for the last few days of that race. Every Catherine Cortez Masto ad was about abortion. That was the number one thing she was running on. It wasn't even the, 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 the democracy stuff. It was Adam Laxalt saying Roe versus Wade was a joke. The fact that the Republicans did not get on the same page of saying in the 2022 midterms, our line is it's about the states. We've always said it's about the states. That allows our blue state uh, senator uh, Senate candidates to run on that. It allows our red state candidates to run on that. Instead, Lindsey Graham comes out with a national bill for no reason, uh, and and they have the the waters muddied. And I think they really paid for it. I think Lindsey Graham might have cost them Nevada. I mean, I I, I said at the time that Lindsey Graham try, introducing that bill was an in kind contribution to the DSUC, um, <laughs> and I was very correct about that fact. Um, I mean, I think it definitely kept Raphael Warnock in the game because. Black turnout wasn't great in Georgia. Like we can now sort of pick through the entrails of that. Yeah. Black turnout wasn't great. It was decent in the early vote and then it just didn't show up on the day. But the reason Warnock still won, like in a in like a normal any other state in the Georgia sense, and the reason it's you know, it he he stayed at, you know, forty nine and a half percent or whatever, is because he ran even with Biden among suburban whites. Yeah. That's insane that with with what we know about down ticket legs and the fact that it's a, a disfavorable economy, Wardock lost no round for Biden with those voters. That's an insane performance. And it's yeah, well, well Kemp, Kemp ran. Uh, we we were watching it during the during the live stream. I believe it was nine points ahead of of Walker. Something uh, like that. Yeah, I don't remember what it ended up at, but yeah, like the man, the fact that the fact that Wardock. Stayed in the race is insane. I mean, 
even even Fetterman, like Fetterman didn't because the whole the whole theory for for Oz candidacy was well, Fetterman's going to do like a bit better in like rural Pennsylvania, but yeah. Oz is better in in the Philly caller. Well, he didn't, and I think that's a lot to do with abortion as well. Like it's a man, Democrats did well. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it 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 turns out that at least at this stage of wherever we are in in the economy, despite the fact that inflation is persistent, Republicans couldn't stick it to the Democrats. They couldn't stick it to these candidates specifically, um, you know, and, and and to go back to kind of Monday morning quarterbacking on that, the 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 fact that there was no direct questions of would you have voted for the. The, the, the rescue package, I mean, the same way that, that uh, Democrats were hitting Republicans on would you vote for Lindsey Graham's bill is is just, you know, a, a major problem. And you can't help but say that this is largely because there is no cohesion at the top of the Republican Party right now. And, and that was something that was kind of an underwritten story beyond the beltway of how dysfunctional Mitch McConnell and – uh, uh, Donald Trump and uh, um, oh man, I'm, I'm for, yeah, uh, uh, you know how how off the the page they were from each other, but uh, I think that that really kind of came came to bite them uh, on top of the fact, or sorry, especially because you've got so many rookie candidates. You know, you need strong party leadership if none of these people have run a race before. Yeah, and the pro and and I think McConnell made a a big tactical error not funding Blake Masters because even though McConnell never thought Blake Masters could win, and it's very apparent um, at this point that he never thought so. The problem is, is that when you're not funding Blake Masters, when you're not funding Don Duke up in New Hampshire, they have no incentive to listen to your advice, yeah, or to bow down to your authority. So when Don Duke says. You know, when he does his election denial and then no, actually, I believe the election was real. And then no, actually, I still think it's an election. The the election was stolen routine in the span of two days. McConnell can't do anything about that fact because McConnell isn't giving him any money. So he has no leverage over Bullduke. He had no leverage over Masters. And it's also increasingly clear that McConnell was losing control of his caucus, which meant that he couldn't tell Lindsey Graham the very obvious point of do this and Democrats are going to win the Senate, you numpty. Yeah. Like Marco Rubio is calling for delay in the Senate, in the, in the like Republican Senate caucus election. Marco, what the hell? When did he get a backbone? Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm curious because I don't think anybody who had anything to do with the Senate leaders or the, the Senate Congressional Committee should have anything to do with the future of that party, you know, just by merit, because that was an absolute fiasco. And it seems like, you know, I don't know, uh, we, we will we will we will see where where that's going to come from. But you mentioned Rubio. Let's go to Florida. There were a few bright spots for the Republicans in the midterm, none bigger than what happened in Florida, the uh, Florida Democratic Party is one of your uh, uh, favorite whipping boys, as it is for me. Uh, uh, let us delight in in what an absolute failure and hope that they uh, uh, raise all structures and begin to build anew. I mean, just it's Florida and you lose the governorship by 20. That's that's not I mean, like, just just so people know. So it's not because people write me off because I'm a crazy Florida person. But like 
that doesn't happen. Like you no. don't like even you know, a blowout in Florida is five points. Like 20 is insane. That's like, you should be ejected from the earth. Yeah, that that's that's the equivalent of like losing New York, like uh, a Democrat winning New York by 70. Yes. Like the, the proportions are so crazy. I, like Republicans won Miami-Dade like comfortably. Both of them, both Rubio and right. DeSantis won uh, uh, going away. The, the margins, I mean, when I was on my live stream, I called Florida the second the first results came in and they were only winning Broward by 15. I was like, I've seen enough. We don't need to go any further. Like if they're only winning Broward by 15, it is it is a wrap. You are done. Like, like let's let's put it to bed early. Right. And I I think hilariously for like the way the night, the story of the night, the fact that Florida was such a blowout and everyone kind of knew it just sort of meant that it was like, oh, and then and then Republicans are, are winning in Florida was sort of like the, the coda of the of the story. They never made it the like big story, which I think helped Democrats, um, at least their mood yeah. um, early on. But no, man, what a disaster. Like literally fire everybody, fire every single person. Maybe the, the secretarial staff can stay. The admin, the admin staff can say literally fire everybody. But everybody world. else, you have you have failed this city, and there's there's nothing that you can do. I mean, when when you put up Nikki Fried and Charlie Crist for the third time, by the way, the third time that Charlie Crist Christ has been rejected as the governor of Florida, uh, 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 it just absolutely uh, insane, insane. Uh, um, the other big uh, uh, bright spot for Republicans is uh, where I am, uh, Texas, uh, Greg Abbott. Is Greg Abbott kind of the, the forgotten uh, uh, footnote of this because it was not a big night for, for Republicans and Ron DeSantis is getting all the shine for the future of, of the party? Is there uh, uh, is Abbott just being forgotten? Um, yeah, a thousand percent, mostly because no one really wants to give Greg Abbott credit. Um, because everyone's just kind of doing like a little Democrats really ran Beto again routine, yeah. which is fine. I, you know, I, I, I thought Beto was going to do a bit better, but it's just clear Democratic turnout was was not good. Um, but yeah, no, Abbott Abbott did well. He he, he managed to 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 get on message and stay on message. Um, Texas, the the Texas burbs, you know, didn't have a great night. You know, um, which still just proves everything about where that state is going. But Greg Abbott managed to beat a, at the very least, well-funded opponent by a damn big margin. So well done to him. Uh, and then the other the other big uh, winner, although he was not strong enough to drag uh, uh, Herschel Walker, <laughs> Herschel Walker's ample frame over the finish line, uh, at least before the runoff, uh, is Brian Kemp. Uh, and, and I guess we can also kind of do the, the flip side of it, the absolute, uh, uh, dissolving of, of Stacey Abrams, uh, you know, number one, give me your thoughts on that particular race. And number two, where do you think the future of Stacey Abrams is? Uh, the future of Stacey Abrams better be an ABC panel because if she ever runs for anything of consequence, again, Georgia Democrats need to block her immediately. Um, Brian Kemp managed to take the Trump primary and play it perfectly yeah. because he not only was able to win the primary going away, which I think was more of a David Perdue being terrible than anything else. Um, but he used that primary as in both implicit and explicit 
sort of I'm really I you see I'm the middle I'm yes. the I'm the center and every and by positioning himself by using both Abrams on his left and David Perdue on his right he made himself look more centrist than his actual governing record is which to be fair literally that's what good politicians do and have done forever yeah um but yeah no just a brilliantly done campaign by Kemp I think that is what sort of the GOP establishment should be like that's the playbook they should be should be learning from to try and pull this off because that's how you run campaigns in you know purple blue trending seats and states you know you I, I, got into, I, get, them, I, I got into a fight with somebody a few weeks ago who is a former chief of staff in the house and so obviously knows a lot more than i do just being a barking dog on the internet but he was very very complimentary of liz cheney and i'm like really you know like look think what you will about liz cheney but uh, uh i don't think she tried in her primary and even if she lost i, I kind of like politicians that try to win. I like politicians that try to speak to their electorate. I think that she ran a campaign for national Democrats to make a Wyoming uh, a Republican primary about January 6th. Uh, and and you know, I got into a fight and said, he's like, oh, no, she's very brave, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. I just I kind of feel like there is an emerging lane and it's Brian Kemp and, and to a lesser extent, Glenn Youngkin that like you can say I am not Trump and win Republican voters. And that feels more true now than it did before the midterms, especially when I feel like we've reached peak chaos, or at least in terms of it being a, a politically efficacious strategy. And, and Kemp to me was the exact, you know, it, it's, it's something so old. It's new again, a boring twangy Republican, you know, whose slogan is keep chopping. I mean, the thing the thing about Kemp is that, and I think this kind of hurt national Republicans who are trying to beat Warnock, is that Kemp's ads are just, Georgia's doing really well. Why? Yeah. Lives. And then all of Herschel, and then all of Herschel's ads were Georgia's in chaos because of this evil, radical socialist, Raphael Warnock. And I'm like, okay, one of the, something is wrong in this, in this two, in the, in your ads, in this two minute ad break. Like the, the, these messages are not congealing into anything which is why I think the Kemp Warnock, everything, you know, things are pretty good. They could be better, but they're good. Sort of yeah. like tickets existed. But yeah, no, like we're, we're going to see a bunch of, you know, Republicans, especially in, in, in New York, who are going to need to keep their seats by being fairly moderate. And there's the playbook is right there. The playbook is be a fairly normal Republican, hit out at all the dumb stuff, which is all going to come. Yeah. Um, stay completely out of the presidential politics of 2020. Like, don't endorse. Don't care about it. Don't react to. Don't react to that fight. Um, and just, and just, even if you have a fairly like down the line Republican voting record, find like find areas of moderation that you can then use to go back home and say, look, I'm a moderate. It's a very easy playbook if anyone wants to do it. I just don't know if any of these people are actually like, I just don't know if any of these people are actually willing to do it. 
Well, I mean, you know, you know as well as anybody that politics is a copycat sport. So uh, whoever whoever looks like they are winning, that is what they'll do. And I think it's why we kind of got the candidates that that we got on the Republican side for Senate is it was a lot of the the, the different versions of the Trump playbook of uh, no experience is better experience and name recognition matters more than you think. And, uh, uh, you know, if uh, except for J.D. Vance and I, I'm assuming that you that you still are holding that uh, Warnock will will best Walker in the in the runoff. Yes. Then, yeah, he he will. I mean, that that playbook will have gone, you know, one for or you know, one out of four. Uh, he would have lost three of them. So. Uh, we will we will see where that goes from there. All right. Uh, uh, last thing here. Uh, uh, would you like to throw dirt on Trafalgar? Oh yes, I would. Robert Cahali, man. This is this is this is. I'm just talking to you. Not not even the audience anymore, man. Yeah. What were you doing? Lee Zeldin winning. I mean, okay. I guess he got closer than most people expected, but still no. Um, but dude, Tudor Dixon. Um, Adam Laxalt, how'd that one work out for you? Um, her, remember when Herschel? Remember when Herschel got like a four point lead, and they were like, "Oh yeah, no, he he might even win outright." What a yeah. what a horrible Trafalgar! Just I, they were they had it either very close in in New Hampshire that just was completely fake. All that bull movement at the end started off by Trafalgar. Colorado was never in play. Washington was never in play. Remember when he had Vermont as single digits? Nah, Peter Wells just won by his usual gargantuan numbers. Yeah. Man, what a, a for a polling firm that can sometimes put up things that kind of make sense. Again, their Virginia, their Virginia governor poll ended up being bang on in 2021, and they had their successes in 20 in 2020, I guess. What a horrific night. They have just burned all their credibility everything and the most important thing they had which is that a minus bolster rating on 538 it's all gone up in smoke from one man's hubris that he thought he knew the answer and therefore just moved everything accordingly no you didn't buddy you weren't smarter than the world as someone who has thought he was smarter than the world before and gotten burned by it this is your fall and i am enjoying every goddamn second of it oh and also stop hiding Get on Twitter and own the fact that you don't know what you're doing. Like a man, don't be don't be hiding, buddy. Yeah, you know that was always going to be an all or nothing night for 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 Trafalgar, right? It was either going to be A plus or D minus, no matter what, because there were so many outlier polls, and then he was painting a a gigantic red wave, at least at what he was seeing. And you know, if you, if you look at some of his his comments leading up to it, the idea that that he genuinely believed that that there were just Republicans not responding to polls. And so I guess that it that accounted for his weighting of things. But uh, boy, did that not materialize? Nope. Like, that's the thing that there there are a lot of people who this applies to. But thinking, you know, the outcome of an election and then working backwards from that result is a terrifyingly scary proposition and a whole lot of people did that this year and all of them have egg on their faces and he is lead eggster i guess <laughs> one last thing out the door here there have been a bunch of polls that have come out in the uh, intervening uh, 72 hours or so since the election that have uh, shown 
strong movement toward Ron DeSantis from Donald Trump in early, 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 early 2024 primary uh, uh, situations. How do you view that? How should the listeners view polls like that? Um, so a lot of them have been paid for by the Club for Growth. Uh, longtime listeners of your podcast and my appearances on it will remember the last time we talked with the Club for Growth. It was because they were at war with Trump world over um jd Vance and josh like mandel in, in in ohio yeah yeah um which they lost because yeah. they, they they backed they backed mandel yeah exactly so these are these are these are narrative dividing polls like these are these are polls that are attempting to show trump in decline to precipitate the idea that he is in decline because ron DeSantis is a candidate much more favorable to the club for growth and much more aligned with their values. Um, any polling right now is not predictive because every all that anyone knows about Ron DeSantis is uh, the fact that he's a winner. Yeah. He has not, for a fairly high-profile governor, he rarely does national media. He, I mean, if you are not counting Fox News as national media. <laughs> sorry. Uh, like, yeah, I meant I meant uh, like never does never engages with the newspapers, never engages with CNN. Like yes, does Fox all the time, but he's 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 never done a hard interview. Is is the better way to put it? Um, and so he's gonna have to. We're gonna have to see how he holds up outside of the scrutiny of his home state and outside of the scrutiny of the the Fox ecosystem. Obviously, the fact that he has the Fox ecosystem now behind him is going to be pretty valuable as so long as that stays the case. Um, but I, the problem is just, I don't know that DeSantis has the charisma to hold up. There's, he has some like real Kamala Harris, Scott Walker vibes in that it all lines up on paper and then they get on the stump and it just, it just doesn't work. I'm a little bit more bullish on him than those two names for sure. Uh, but you never know until the rubber hits the road, especially when you're talking about somebody that he's going to have to, you know, beat uh, uh, the demagogue of all demagogues. You know, the guy who who made his career beating up on other Republicans before he started beating up on Democrats. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know that him being more milk toast is not an asset in this environment because Again, uh, uh, boring Republicans. I, I feel like kind of back in a post Kerry Lake world. Yeah, they're back to the general electorate, but you got to remember that that the primary electorate still might be crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, like we know that, the general you know, electorate that, likes it, but do we know that the primary that anyone in the primary electorate has changed their mind? Well. You know, it's not like Florida is known for very uh, sober minded people. So if, if if we are if we are looking to a guy who can market himself to crazies, then the governor of Florida who just won by 20 would be uh, you, you could you could you could do worse. But again, way ahead of ourselves. We will keep an eye on that. Uh, Mr. Scrimshaw, where can people find you? Uh, Scrimshaw unscripted com. I am finally going to get this midterm piece. I've been trying to work on for like four days done today, uh, done by the time you're listening to this. Um, the lines.com for political betting and NFL content, uh, going to be writing about, uh, Trump DeSantis and 2024 for there for this week. Once Trump, uh, assumingly announces. So 
that's going to be up there. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Eastern Show. I, I'm snarky at Republican consultants. <laughs> uh, uh, one, 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 one final, final, final thing. You are a Green Bay Packers fan, right? Yes, I am. How did it feel to have Mike McCarthy blow you a game? It, so the thing is, is that I went into that game, A, assuming we were going to lose, and B, kind of wondering if, if we just need to tank from, from here on out. But I would be lying if, that, if I did not get great visceral pleasure out of watching him just blow another eminently winnable game. At this time, Just, I especially walking in with the Vince Lombardi trench coat and everything like what an unlikable human being Mike McCarthy is. Just, just, I mean, the fact that he claimed that he had like really studied the analytics and that he admitted at the, at the to get the job and then in the opening press conference said, yeah, it was all a lie and still has the job is like just <laughs> deeply unlikable human being and. Even if the Packers lose every other game, I'm now happy with the season just for beating I, him. It was, it was I, I, all I could do watching that game and watching him go for it on fourth, which I, I think it's fine. It's fine that he went for it, but just how he gets angry and he's slamming his headset. I'm like, like oh, Green Bay Packers fans just have to be so excited. Like, this is what everybody else in the league felt when he would blow those games for them. It was just amazing. Yeah, no, truly, truly a great capper to a, to a great week for me. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Scrim. Thanks for having me. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to say thank you to Evan Scrimshaw for all of his contributions throughout this midterm season, you can hit him up at letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Follow the show on Twitter at px3tweets. Follow me live on Twitch, including our live election coverage for runoff night at px3live.com. If you want to share the podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, it is px3podcast.com. And of course, you can support us with a one-time donation. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything you would like to me in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78711. Five. The only way you can get our bonus content is by going to takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read on the show like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier, including Dustin, Jason, Andres, Matt, Craig, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yeo Pinball Shop, DB Vorbongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Aegis Landy and Bluefront, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana, Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. 
Brad Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted. Utah Jimmy Montana, the Gen A L D L D L D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. You want to join their ranks? Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. You head on down to take politics seriously. Dot. On our Friday edition of the program, we will be joined from a tactics perspective. We had the numbers perspective with Evan Scrimshaw. The person that I like to talk about tactics the most is Michael Cohen. He uh, uh, is is one of my favorite people to go back and forth with on this stuff. And we're going to break down. I want to drill down even more into the Republican messaging failure. Uh, uh, and I want to talk about the, the the big question of candidate quality. What does candidate quality mean? What does it not mean? We will go through all of it for you as we finally put the 2022 midterms to bed. By Friday, we should officially have a house call. So join us then, won't you? Until... This is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh! Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.